0: Hello and welcome. You are listening to The Future Podcast. This is where we talk about the business of design and the changing landscape of what it takes to be a design professional in the 21st century. I'm your host, Chris Doe. I'm a brand strategist, Emmy-winning director, consultant, teacher, designer, entrepreneur, and YouTube host. I've learned a few things in running a creative agency for the last 21 years in one of the most competitive markets, Los Angeles. My hope is I can make your transition into creative entrepreneurship a little easier. What we want to talk about today is really a state of the industry. And I also want to have an opportunity to clarify and maybe add some contextual information about that comment that I said about being bricklayers. I know that kind of set the internet a little bit uh, upset and, you know, look, I'm entitled to opinion just like you. I'm just asking you to kind of keep an open mind. Hear me out and let's have a robust dialogue about this. And either way, I'm not here to prove right or wrong. I think everybody is richer for having a diverse set of opinions. And from that, I'm going to go on. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about state of the industry and feel free to chime in anytime you want, Greg. Okay. Okay. Here's what I'm seeing you guys. If you're in the motion industry, we've been hit with lots of ups and downs. And I'm in that unique position where I've been running this company now for 21 years. So I've seen lots of things happen. I've seen trends come and go. I've seen the rise and the fall. And every year, every five years, you think looking back, it's going to get better. And it's going to go back to the way it was. But the truth is, I've never seen it go back to the way it was Right. because way back in the day, right around 1999, 2000, we <coughs> were designing titles for car commercials and when we did Titles for car commercials, we were charging in the neighborhood of $10,000 per title. So if a TV commercial had four titles, if you do the math, that would be $40,000. And if there was a campaign of car commercials, that was a lot of money for animating titles on a screen. Now, I wish those days were here still, and they're not. Now you'd be lucky to get a fraction of that. They have some kid in-house doing that for $300. And so the industry has changed quite a bit. And we were hit with a recession in 2008, something that we have not seen before. And I think recession is the mild term for what happened, right? This whole economic downfall. We saw the market crash, horrible things were happening. And we're thinking this is the end of the world. This is the collapse of the financial world. This is it. And we've been inching back ever since. So a lot of things have happened since then. And things that have happened um, in terms of affecting the consumption of media. Like You think about it. And we would ask people at Blind, how many guys own a TV set anymore, like a traditional TV set with cable or satellite? And less than half the people at our office raised their hands. That means everybody else is consuming it via on-demand. Yes. Okay, so we're in the business of making really high-end TV commercials. So what happens when nobody's watching TV anymore? So the demand for people watching TV, the numbers must be going down. The eyes are trending away from people watching TV. And couple that with the fact that we don't want to be interrupted. Like when I watch a YouTube show or something like that, and they interrupt and force me to watch a commercial, I look away. I actually get angry at the brands that sponsor those interruptions. So that's even me kind of feeling like, you know, maybe it's just the way we're all growing up now. Everything's on demand. Things are streaming. We want what we want when we want it. We don't want to be sold to. Uh, We're living in a mobile first world. Meaning you, you carry your TV set in your pocket and you're watching on these screens. Um, like I said, we don't want to be sold to anymore. We want to buy, but we don't want to be sold to. So entertain me, teach me something, but don't sell me because I don't want that. And here's one of the biggest impacts that's happening in terms of affecting the demand for people who make commercials. is having a di- Companies now have dialogue with their consumers in social so it could be on instagram it could be on snapchat facebook and on twitter but it's not happening on a one-way communication broadcast platform like traditional tv networks so these things are happening to us so what's going on let's look at also what's happening to our clients mm-hmm. when your clients are not doing well you know you're going to be in trouble yeah okay the people that are on t- on the top of the food chain as far as we're concerned the ones who generate and create the work and choose who to hire who not to hire When they're in trouble, you got to know that we're down that food chain and it's going to impact us. So let's look at what's happening with advertising agencies. Now, I was uh, at NAB flying back and it just so happened to be sitting next to head of production at a prominent L.A. advertising agency. And we struck up a conversation. Of course, I knew who he was. He knew who I was and we were talking. I said, what are you doing here at NAB? Kind of suspiciously thinking. He's like, well... We just acquired over $100,000 worth of broadcast equipment. I said, what are you doing? Well, he said, we're setting up a post-production company within our agency. And he said it like very straightforward, matter of fact, this is it, transparent. You want to do something about it, do something about it, because I'm just letting you know what's happening. So what this one agency was doing was building a huge post-production facility within their agency. And why would they want the headache of that? And I know that there are a lot of post-production people out there that are sitting there thinking, well, we do the best work. This is a fad. It's not going to last. But there's something that has happened. It's kind of this good enough revolution, meaning clients have become accustomed to work that's just good enough so they can bring in freelancers, they can hire away the best people and start their own post-production companies within the agencies, and it's good enough for their clients because what they need to do now is to protect the bottom line. They gotta make sure the commercials they're producing are making money and it's not. they're not gonna hemorrhage at that. And the reason why that's happening also is because a lot of agencies are losing agency of record. Agency of record means that one brand, let's say Coca-Cola for example, they would hire one agency and all the work that was for Coke, not global but at least for a particular region, that one agency would serve. And now what's happening is, they figured this out. What they did was they hired the best agency people. They brought them in-house. Coca-Cola has. They've made them become brand managers and they have agency experience. And so they tell them, let's break this stuff up. Let's give the Coke account to four different agencies. That sounds super scary if you're an agency person. And then they said, you know what? We don't need to be paying anymore for media buy. So we don't want them to mark it up because what we can do is work with the media buying companies ourselves. And so that was a huge profit center. So now what you have left is an agency that no longer has agency of record. It's They're competing against three or two other agencies all the time. Their jobs are on the line all the time. And they've lost a very profitable center, which was media buy. Media buy, just to put it in perspective, now the numbers are a little old. But somebody in the, in the agency world told me that American Express spends, get this, half a billion Half a billion, five hundred million dollars in media buy annually. I'm sure that number's changed a little bit. So if you got ten percent of that as an agency in terms of marking up the media buy, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And that mm. will help some people in the post production world understand something that it was never in their interest to make money in creation of the spots because the media was where the money was at. So for them they wanted a sexy spot, but if they had to pay less to get you to do it for less, it didn't really matter. It didn't really impact them because that wasn't where. The, I mean, we're talking about a couple hundred thousand dollars, maybe a million dollars to produce a TV commercial, mm-hmm. right? The media buy alone was going to be where the profit center was, right? And this has happened to Honda. It's happened to a lot of companies and brands out there. Okay. So now we have um, an economy in decline and recovery. We have the changing habits of how we, you and I, consume media. Like we don't want commercials anymore. We don't want to watch TV the way we we watch it in the the old days. And everybody's living social. And the fact now that clients, brands themselves, have become very savvy in terms of not giving an agency all the work. And so it's just, look, I don't know if this is the correct usage of this term, but just to put it in perspective, it's trickle-down economics. It is trickle-down economics. So they have less of the pie to give. And so what we're seeing here, okay, it's 2016, it's half half the year's over, we're in July here, right? And we're seeing fewer jobs of, I don't know, kind of medi- mediocre creativity. Mm-hmm. Like every once in a while we see a good, juicy, meaty, interesting job, but the budgets have come down, the frequency of the jobs have come down. So what are we gonna do? What are we gonna do, Greg? What are your thoughts? that's,
1: That's what we're here to talk about, right?
0: Well, we're here to talk a little bit about that. And that's kind of the conversation that was also initiated at Motion in Santa Fe. And I think the audience got really engaged when we started talking real stuff, like what is really happening? Where is post production in the chain of importance? Now, usually we look at ourselves as very important, but it's because it suits our own self-interest. Okay. There's something about called synthetic happiness about how you like more what you have and you, you care less about the things that you don't have. But I don't want to get too deep into that. But post-production, the word post means after, right? After production. So post is at the very end of this chain of events. So before post is production where they shoot the commercials. That's all the live action stuff. Big production companies exist or they used to, I don't know what's happening with those guys either. And then the agency exists on top of those people. They're the ones who conceptualize the ads, who sell the clients on the campaign, the positioning, the messaging and all that kind of stuff. And they hire the production company. Don Draper. Don Draper. Is that right? Okay. So that's the agency. Well, the agency must be at the top at the pinnacle. That's it. They're at the top of the pyramid at the pinnacle, right? No, there's somebody above them because everybody's got a boss and who's their boss and client, Their client, Yeah. Coca-Cola, Nike. So at the very top, well, who's Nike's client? Does Nike have a client too? Do they have a boss? Consumers. You, you're the boss there. So we're looking at a uh, hierarchical system that is at least five, possibly six layers deep. And so I've always felt that how do you move up the value chain? Because if you're at the bottom, you know, there's like the shark that feeds off other animals, other fish in the sea. And then there's like these little guys. Uh, They have a symbiotic kind of parasitic relationship. Mm -hmm. The little fish that hang on to the shark, like the great white, they'll hang on and they'll feed off the crumbs. They don't have to do any work and they hand. They hang there and they're content with a little bit of scraps. I kind of believe that we're walking around this kind of mindset like we're on autopilot all the time. You know, certain kinds of thoughts become actions, actions become patterns, patterns become a behavior, behavior becomes a groove and a groove turns into a rut. And you start to fall into the state of mind where it's like dogma. This is the way it is. This is the way it always will be. So I'm going to be resigned to accept it for what it is. So I'm here just to shake it up and to kind of put you into that handbrake state of mind where somebody's going to say something. You're going to see something. You're going to feel something. An experience is going to happen to you. And then you're going to want to pull the handbrake. And it's gonna make you stop. Time's gonna slow down, you're gonna look around and you're gonna to start to question your life. So I'm saying this to you if you're 40 years old, 50 and up, or maybe you're just in still in school and you're thinking about graduating school and having a career in motion design. I just want you to be aware of what's going on and to be a participant in the dialogue versus just putting your head in the sand and accepting things for the way they are. Mm. All right. So what can we do? Where do we fit in? into this world so we've been I think to some degree living on the success of the past making things we make commercials we make music videos and we're waiting for our next gig we're waiting for our next assignment and we will pitch and, and kill for the next thing and we, we will go into it with a knife fight with our fellow friends and stab everybody until we're the last one standing until we have the job and that's the economy The dynamic that's been created for our industry and I gotta tell you it sucks (laughs) so if you talk about burnout and kind of feeling robbed and people don't appreciate what it is that you do well you can do a couple things you can complain about it or you can do something about it you guys out there in the motion world who do some really incredible things you're able to tell stories in ways that nobody else can you can articulate and visualize and in Allison Goodman's terms, you can manifest things to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And your forte, Greg, and I've seen it, and you're, you do a really great job at this, is you do it through character animation, through character design. You're a very character-driven person, right? And you've even created uh, your own TV series, right? Tried to. Tried to. You're still working <laughs> on it. The dream's still alive. Sure. The struggle is real. You guys, hashtag struggle is real. I get it. And that's freaking awesome. Other people like to tell stories like my friend uh, Steven Schuster, who really likes to do dramatic cinematic visuals. He comes from that prologue school, you know, where Mm. they like to do things that are very darkly lit. And that's how he wants to do. And that's really cool. But we're all waiting around for somebody to go hire us to do that. So I want to tell you a story. I'm hanging out in Las Vegas and one of my very good friends, Greg, he introduces me to a friend. I won't name that person's name but he works for an agency like where they represent talent and he was telling me digitals become really big so aside from traditional TV and film and music they represent digital and that got my ears to perk up I'm like what up what's that all about tell me more about this digital thing he's like yeah it's a growing division within the agency and so he was telling me that now they're representing a lot of people on YouTube and this is gonna this is gonna rock your mind you guys some of these guys on YouTube are doing seven figures, so that's in the millions of dollars now in annual income, and they're not doing it through sponsorship like uh, the. No, I'm sorry, let me. I'm sorry, I misspoke. They're not doing it through paid ads, right? Uh, pre-roll, post-roll. They're not doing it through that. They're doing it through sponsorship. So there's a guy, and I'm gonna say it. You know, I, I admire this guy's work, and his name is uh, is it Devin Supertramp? Do you know who Devin Supertramp is heard of so I heard a little bit about Devin and, and Devin forgive me if you're watching this or one of your friends says I got it all wrong look I apologize but I, I admire the business model the thing he was able to create so he, Devin graduates from the internet legend he graduates from film school and he wants to make short form narrative so he makes these things and he puts it on the internet and nothing happens Been nothing there. happens and then he's thinking God this sucks but you know what I know how to tell stories. I know how to edit. I know how to color correct. I know how to do all these things. And I've got a bunch of friends who are like extreme athletes, parkour runners, that kind of stuff. I want to just make things. And so he has some ideas. So uh, I'm going to make this story brief here. But the point is this. Okay, so check this out. So he contacts, uh, is it Ubisoft or Ubisoft? They make Assassin's Creed. And so he contacted them. They started working. He started pitching a concept about making a real life version, a live action version of the video game hmm. of Assassin's Creed. And I like, ah, it's interesting and at that the final moment, they decided not to do it. So he was like, whatever, man, I'm just going to make it anyways. So it goes out. He's already got all the talent. He's figured out all the shots. So he and a couple of buddies go shoot this thing. I think they even shot on a red. So this is a high production value using gimbals and using all sorts of things, bringing a lot of production to this thing and executing the idea. And then he releases it, and within a few short days, it gets millions of views and goes viral. I think it's up to like 30 million views now. I'm sure it's even higher than that since the last time I checked. And so guess what? Ubisoft came calling, knocking Mm -hmm. back on the door and saying, "Uh, all right, we'd like for you to do that for us now. This is the key difference between making what I would consider a traditional 30 second ad to sell the game, to have it be really sexy. And letting Devin do something that's really, I think, just kind of in that fan genre of, you know, I love the game. I want to try this idea. It's novel. It doesn't fit in that 30 second slot. It's not a hard sell. It's just fun and it celebrates the game. And it gets so much attention and interest. And that's what people want. They want to see things that are done and done in a very kind of authentic and genuine way and some of that overly polished scripted thing isn't even necessary in the new economy anymore. Here's what the new paradigm looks like for you. If you know how to make visuals, you know how to tell stories, I think you've got to stop thinking about making demo reels to get more work from an agency because that model is going away and it's going away really, really fast. Why not become the person who does the post-production and the production company and you basically conceptualize it. So now you've become the agency and you're also releasing it on your own network, on your own show. And so you kind of created this whole ecosystem revolves around your vision and things that you wanna create. There's power in the creators, but my whole thing is about trying to get people to think about what they do in a different way. Yeah, the reward might not be there and there's a lot of risk, but I think that's a perfect segue into what really why you're sitting next to me is Kay. this whole idea of entrepreneurship. Let me just ask you this question. In, in terms of the American population, how, what percentage would you say is in the motion design industry or in the design space relative to the entire population? The US? Yeah.
1: I mean, it has to be less than 1%, right?
0: It's a very small percentage, I have to imagine. Yeah. So let's say it's the 1% because I like that number and I like that statistic. It's kind of a loaded statistic. It though. is a loaded statistic. <laughs> and I did not set him up to do this, so he says 1%. Okay, so now designers, creative types, people that work in an industry, user experience, design, anybody that I would consider a professional creative person. Hmm. Now, we're going to say that just for the sake of argument, you guys, statisticians, don't get crazy on me. Let's say it's 1%. So of this 1%, take this entire population of creatives. How many of them desire to be entrepreneurs? Hmm. What do you think that percentage is?
1: Well, how do you define entrepreneur?
0: Well, somebody who sees a problem and wants to solve it. I like um, the way Cameron Harold talks about this. And Cameron Harold, if you guys don't know, go check it out. It's a he did a TED Talk. He says, "Let's raise kids to be entrepreneurs." He says, "You know, entrepreneurship should not be a bad thing. We should not vilify people who want to be entrepreneurs." And I think, in our world, in our creative community saying that you care about money and and doing business and talking about money, it's like the Antichrist or something. Sure. So I'm talking about those things. I'm not talking about people who are freelancers who are bouncing from shop to shop, but I'm thinking about people who want to stake a claim you know, and go out and build this dream, who can align other people around what it is they want to build and go and figure out a problem to solve. They have a mind for business. They have a mind for business. They have a mind for innovation. They want to create something
2: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Okay.
0: What do you think their percentage is? Of, in terms of that of 1%? Crea- yeah. yeah
1: um, I, I'm quite optimistic about that. I'm, I'm going to go with like 35%. That is a huge number. I, I think people really, yeah, are, are genuinely interested in, in doing that. I, I don't think they know how. This okay is really the best way to go about it, but I think okay. there's a lot more interest than
0: you All right. think. All right, that's awesome. I was prepared for you to say a much lower number, okay. just in the, in the rhythm, but I love this, that you said, what'd you say, 35? Yeah. Okay, 35%. That's a very high number. That makes my heart sing, I gotta tell you, but I thought you were gonna say something like, hmm, not that many, like 1%. Thanks for not playing along. <laughs> that's okay. So if I look at the entire population of design schools and design educators, how many educators are truly... Teaching creative entrepreneurship, not how to send out an invoice, not how to build a client's or terms, conditions. That's not what I'm talking about, but how I interrupt you one second. Go ahead. Uh,
2: we got a question from Brian Gossett.
0: BG. Says, yeah. Oh, hey, what's Brian. up, Brian? Uh, Go ahead.
2: And he's asking what sort of project or vision do you think falls into the creative entrepreneurship?
0: That's a great question. What kind of project falls into creative entrepreneurship. I can't put a I don't want to box it in, but I'm talking about building your own dream, finding a problem that you see out there and wanting to solve it, Brian. So Brian is an incredible graphic designer and image maker illustrator and he's represented by uh, a rep, right? To to commission illustrations for him. So I think Brian would could use and apply his talents to building up in a very particular image and creating a demand for that image, building up a social media following where wherever Brian goes and he puts that image on, if he signs something, if he makes that image anywhere, that becomes really valuable. So he's now not looking to go through an agency, a production company, a post-production company. He's going directly to the consumer, to the consumer. So he's moved straight up to the value chain at the very top. He's become his own brand. And that's what I'm talking about. So when we talk about creative entrepreneurship, it requires one key ingredient as far as I'm concerned, risk. No risk, no reward. Low risk, low reward. High risk, high reward. So willing to kind of invest your own time and money to build something in hopes that you'll find an audience and connect to them, the user. I think that's a part of the formula.
1: So... I'm trying to think of a good example of, of some, someone like that or something like that. Shepard Ferry comes to mind. Shepard Fairy's is very successful. Yes, he is. Um, and I think he, I mean, you probably know more about him than I do, but he started rather humbly and now it's, I mean, he, makes, he has his own clothing line. There's, I, I don't think he ever knew where that was going from the get-go either. I don't
0: think so. I don't think there's a master plan. But with Shepard Ferry, I remember, I think he and Dave Kinsey had Studio One. Okay. Or studio number one, or something like that, in the LA area. And they were commissioned by Mountain Dew, uh, kind of brands that really connected with their street subversive art. And meanwhile, Shepard had been plastering his posters and doing the Obey propaganda stuff all over the place. And I think somewhere around that time, too, uh, they licensed the Obey brand as an apparel company mm-hmm. to another manufacturer. Okay. But I found out from somebody that worked for Shepard that after licensing the brand, their sales went down because Shepard and his guys were not involved in it anymore. So the people that licensed the brand from them actually went back and hired them to make images. Mm. So in the meanwhile, he's been working on this Obey propaganda for some time. And then uh, timing, fortune, luck hit him, and he was asked to do this poster for the Obama campaign, and that thing went nuclear. I think his life and everything else changed after that. I'm no longer aware if he's running a studio anymore because all I see are, are books on his work, gallery invitations and his work selling for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars. So he's transcended himself and now he's speaking directly to the consumer as well. So that's one way to do it, but there's other ways to do it.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to think like, so if if I'm out there listening, I, I'm probably thinking, um, these guys are unicorns. The chances of yeah. me becoming shepherd are very, very slim. It's like
0: a pro athlete. So, Yeah. The odds are, 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 are slim. Right. That, that's a good right. example. Yeah.
1: So how do you begin to wrap your head around something like that? You know, like high risk, high reward. Get
0: that. It you get that. Sense. And it's um, not for everybody. We say that too. Let's get back to school. Let's bring it back to school. So there's some context to this conversation. So here I am. I'm looking around and I'm sitting at a school that's kind of a very prestigious design school. Uh, one that I have a great affection for at Art Center. And I hear the story about uh, what, I, what I hear is somebody taking entrepreneurship kind of leadership skills, being reprimanded, and just like everybody looking down on it. And the incident is something like this I guess the, the population of students that are for private art school, it means you come from an affluent background, at least for some students, it's true. And so this one student came in one week and presented work that was far superior to anything he had done prior. And so, of course, eyebrows go up. Like, how did this happen? You don't radically transform in one one instructor's words from crap to like gold in a week. That just doesn't happen. So there were some suspicions about him hiring people to do it. And I was sitting there first, I was also angry. I'm like, what do you mean? You, you, you can't hire somebody to do push-ups for you. That's not right. right, but this is a little bit different. And so as some more of the details emerged, I think I was the lone divergent voice in this group. And this is the comment that I think got me into some hot water with my friends in the community, is why are we punishing this person? So I'm gonna go back a little bit to what Cameron Harold talks about. He says that while growing up, he always thought that he was dumb because he was an average student at best. He couldn't get into any schools. He was not performing well. And the kind of traditional thinking is, let's focus on all your weaknesses and try to fix that. Let's get you tutors to help make you better at doing English or foreign language or Latin, whatever it is he was studying. But what he did say he was really good at was he was really good at public speaking. So instead of focusing in on that, they started to make him what he wasn't. And I think that's a horrible thing. So he said that school right now, in his instance, was grooming you to become a lawyer, a doctor, an accountant. So let's just change that a little bit. And I would say design school is grooming you to become a craftsperson, a person who makes things, a designer, an animator, a user interface designer, uh, somebody who can manifest things, right? What happens to those people who don't feel like they fit in, who, who are interested in arts, have an, an eye for aesthetics, who can design, but already know that maybe that's not for them and they're a little bit bored. What happens for those people? So here's what I'm saying, guys. Uh, I'm not here to say that uh, what I'm saying is right. I'm not here to say that this is for everyone. I'm actually here to just be the champion for the very small percentage of people who hear what I'm saying, who want what I'm saying, and are being punished in a school or, or, or a system that is supposed to be about creativity and being different, about individualism. That's what I was championing about. That's what I got really fired up and it made me angry. Hmm. If, if some uh, small group of design students wanna like figure out how to do uh, f- like fire breathing, let's not stamp that out. Let's not try to make them conform to whatever it is is the conventional thought. I don't think design is about homogeny, about making everybody the same and that's why I got really angry. Hmm. Right. So I was saying the only point I was really trying to make is that person to me in the way that the story and information was brought up to me, did something that I find to be very valuable, which was they understood a brief. They were able to align people in this case. I don't know if it's one or many to help them realize something and through uh, their direction was able to solve a problem. That sounds a lot like an entrepreneur to me and that person was going to be punished instead of being looked at like, wow, you're an anomaly. Let's see what we can do to help you develop skills in understanding client briefs and art direction and design. Hmm. That was the thing. So I had made this comment that, you know what, to me, all this making stuff is like bricklaying. I actually have a tremendous respect for that. But what I'm concerned about is you guys is the decline of this kind of maker craftspeople because it's all being outsourced and it's becoming less and less valuable. And you don't need to believe me on this. There are other people who are much more articulate, much more educated and a lot more cool and even head like level headed than I am who have spoken about the decline of classical design. Classical design is what we consider like crafting. And there's a right way to do something to achieve perfection. That is going away and it's not going away that it's disappearing from the planet It's just going away in in terms of being a viable and sustainable way to make a living So what that leaves you is design thinking Putting the user the customer at the center That experience matters and empathy is really important This is when we figure out a problem with what somebody has And we solve that problem like Airbnb Uber figured out a way to provide a solution for angry cab drivers who don't want to work on a schedule and don't want to handle cash. They solved that problem. So those guys figured out an amazing piece of software to connect people. So those are true bred entrepreneurs. So look, people who got mad at me and said, you know, you're comparing designers and creative motion people to bricklayers. They're elevating themselves actually above bricklayers. And I was saying, no, we're all the same as long as we continue to do this. We're going to get crushed. We're going to get replaced. And we see this happening. People in Spain, in Brazil, in Asia, all over the world, in Germany, doing incredible work. And for in some countries, the cost of living is so low, they can afford to do it for half of what it is that we do it for. So a friend of mine, I won't mention who it is, but he said he got a call from a client. They asked him to rush out a job and do an email blast, like an email template for him. And he said the total rush, money's no object, so he threw a high number out at them. And then he said, "Okay, we approve." Then he called up the guys who know how to make that thing, probably in a different country. And he said, "I need a total rush job, guys. Money's no object. What do you guys want to charge me?" So let's just use some numbers so that we're not talking in the abstract. So let's say he he got the client to agree for, to pay him $10,000. I'm not saying that's a number, but that's a good number because it's a round number. Then they said, "Fine, no problem, $10,000." Now the entrepreneur says, who can I hire to do this job to the best of their ability and deliver exactly what they want while maintaining my profit margin? So he dug around in his resources. He found the team and somebody who he trusts and that he can rely on, and they did it for 1000 bucks. So the entrepreneur makes $9,000 in connecting a need with a solution. Try to bid out a job so that you can hire the best people to do the work for you and add some money on top so you can make profit. And so that's how you start to jump. So typically what happens is if you're freelancing and Greg, I call you and I'm like, I need a character design. You're like, great. And I say, how much do you charge me to design one character? Just, na- it doesn't matter, just name anything.
1: One million. Um, oh, come on, dude. Uh, for a character Yeah, design? just
0: just do one sketch. Like all this. One, one sketch. One sketch. I, I don't know. 500, 500 bucks. Just say sure. 500 bucks. I'm like, wow, great. And how long would it take you to do? say like something long two days two days perfect i agree to pay you five hundred dollars yeah to do an illustration that'll take you two days mm-hmm. okay and then aaron calls you and aaron says hey i want an illustration you're two days five he agrees five people call you you have a problem what's your problem not enough me not enough you supply i mean sorry demand is outstripping supply yes so now you have a choice do you say no to the people that you can't do work for do you totally stress out screw up your whole life stay up all night working on these things day in and day out or what do you do this is when your entrepreneurship gene kicks in the brain starts flipping over and saying you know what I need to hire an assistant because there's things that only I can do that's valuable and everything else that somebody else can do for me I need to hire sure so you'll start at the bottom what, what kind of things take up your time in the day Greg that you can get somebody else to do that it's not you what's non-essential for you Right. What just, is
1: it? Uh, just the rendering of it. Rendering. Right.
0: What else? Um,
1: organizing a presentation.
0: Okay. Keep going. I'm not sure what I'll else. I'll tell is. you what that's else. a very small project. Well, who makes breakfast for you? Who takes care of your laundry? Who walks your dog or cat? And who pays your bills? And all the other kind of non essential stuff that's occupying your time and your brain now becomes something that you can offload to somebody else. So what you're doing here is you're trying to maximize your creative time. Hmm. Mike Janda talks about this, Mike Janda. He says that anything you can pay anybody else, 10 bucks an hour to do, hire them to do it because you're worth more than that. So you're giving opportunity to somebody else who can do that. But more importantly, you're preserving the thing that only you can do. Hmm. This is the beginning of the creative entrepreneur mindset and reprogramming your brain. So then you're going to have to start to see like certain parts of your task are repetitive. Like maybe the layout, the inking, Mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Right. And then now you're going to hire an assistant, a different kind of assistant, an apprentice to do those things for you. And so you train that person. Now that person is going to work at a lower rate than you. And you can charge more for it. So remember, you're going to charge $500. What are you going to pay your assistant to do all the grunt work for you? Right. What do you think? Say a hundred say bucks. A hundred bucks. hundred bucks. And that person's like, wow, Greg, I get to learn from you. I All get right. to develop a skill. I get to learn your style and I get to get paid. I'm going to do this. And so he does it and he gets better or she does it and mm-hmm. she gets better and better. So you give him a little bit more money. And now you can produce work at a higher volume. At a certain point, Mary does such a great job. You're like, Mary, you know what? Your work can pass for my work. I'm going to pay you more and I'm going to go take more work. So, you begin this cycle of becoming a boss, a manager, an entrepreneur. You're replacing yourself in the creation of the work. And that's a concept I know you guys understand, but I just wanted to illustrate for you. And that's how you begin this cycle. When demand outstrips supply, you have to start thinking about what it is that is essential to you. Okay. So, I look at it like from my point of view and to a continuation of the, the the youtube video which is what is absolutely essential for me to do that other people here can't do what would you say it is greg what do you think that is um oh, i just
1: said um i would guess that it's planning for the future okay L- so vision ahead vision vision what okay we can't see or what we're That's not right. thinking about
0: I'm, I'm the guy in the crow's nest on a boat the, right the, the thing yeah. at the top looking mm-hmm. down at the horizon we've talked about this great what else um, finding new clients to work with. Okay. Lead gen. Biz business. dev. Yeah. Biz dev, business development, and lead gen. Because I'm out there looking for the work while you guys are helping me to fulfill the work.
1: Well, you are blind, too. I, I can I, see. I think, what are you, you talking know. about? <laughs> He's good. He's good. Okay. Like, I cannot do that. Not because yet. I can say, I, hi, I work at blind. I'm a guy, and I do this. But... I'm not Chris though. I had a question uh, about what we we're discussing before. Yeah. You know when you were talking about um, what is essential, right? Yeah. For you as as a uh, entrepreneur. Yeah. And I think one thing uh, a lot of people might think about is ownership and authorship, right? Because in the in the creative community in the arts, that's an important thing.
0: Ownership and authorship or a tour ship a right? Like, okay
1: So if I hire you to make an illustration, I want you to make that illustration. Yeah, and I want you to hire
0: Oh, yeah, 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 great point. Great point. I remember the point I was trying to make with you So let me address this. First. Okay, so people don't want to hire Chris So that Greg can make the work, but I think they actually do and I'll tell you why what people do is they hire me to make sure the job goes off without a hitch that they don't have to worry that I've assembled the best team money can buy and if things go wrong I know how to help coach them till it becomes right they also think that they hire me because at three in the morning they'd rather focus on their job trying to grow their business and not trying to tell me and art direct me on how to make this stuff and so what I'm doing is I'm not selling creative work I'm selling assurance I'm assuring them that things will go well they could care less who does the work Okay, let's let's talk about Shepard Ferry again. Shepard Ferry makes these prints. How many assistants do you think are helping him uh lay out the artwork or pulling the screens or doing all the what I would consider the non-essential work? Oh, not sure. yeah. Andy Warhol, famous for the art factory. marcus dabi, infamous for having other people do the work, and he just signed it. He was the one by creating the signature and the creative direction or art direction of the piece made it valuable because without his signature, that thing was just another piece of art. I'm doing my best to continue as in my role as a mentor and as a friend and just colleague and a boss to elevate both Matthew and Greg in their position in the world. So why were you speaking at at the motion conference? Because I challenged you guys, right? I said, you guys need to be more visible. I'm not there to take the credit. I actually don't want the credit. I want it just to be come to blind because we're known for doing high level work. Some people will do it better. A lot of people will do it worse than us, but we're going to make sure the job gets done right and the experience is a pleasant one. Let me clarify one other thing. Art direction, Brian Gossett, art direction. What is art direction all about? People got mad at me because they thought I was championing these entitled brats from Art Center and from CalArts or from Otis, whatever. If you go to this one of these top tier private art schools that you're somehow entitled to become an art director. I'm not saying that, I think that's a horrible idea. You shouldn't be an art director because you don't know jack. But for the very few people who understand how to read a client brief, how to organize a group of people to build a shared vision and that vision matches and aligns with what the client's expectations are and meet or exceeds their expectations. That person needs to get more training, just like a uh, Cameron Harold saying that when he grew up in school, he felt like a leper because he was good at speaking about raising the energy level in a room and motivating people. But instead of getting more help with public speaking, he got crushed. Hmm. He got crushed because he was a C student. He had some form of ADD. He had the CEO disease. And that's what I'm talking about, is creating space for divergent thinking and allowing those that carry this genetic trait, if you will, this ambition, this desire to create businesses and to to be a creative entrepreneur, let's give them some support. I know it is hard to become an art director. It requires a lot of skills. And somebody said on the internet, oh, you know, in, in our country, we, we describe a person who hires other people as a producer. Come on, you're, you're simplifying what I'm saying, and you're totally taking it just in another universe. What I'm saying is a person who can divine an abstract number of words into a visual and align a of team around that, that's real skill. I challenge you to be able to do that. And I recently put out a video about art directing typography, so I'm trying to show you guys one way of art directing. Okay? Question.
2: Yeah. Uh so this guy Ryan Summers here. Oh Ryan Summers. Hey,
0: what's up, dude? Yeah. Hey Ryan.
2: Uh he's asking about he thinks he's missing the takeaway. Of? Of what you're saying. So basically he's saying he's saying, I think I'm missing the takeaway here. So you're saying stop doing MoGraph, work on becoming the next unicorn, super tramp, pretty Wong guy. Until I have enough money to hire the people here to hire someone else because Uber.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Ryan, you're so funny. I know there's something we're going
2: after as advice, but it's lost on me.
0: All right. Let me clarify. First, I wanted to. I think have an opportunity to expand on this thing that I said in a heated moment about bricklaying and art direction. Okay, and I think people simplified it to that. And they got really bent out of shape. and I could totally understand why. Okay, so Ryan, here's what I think. And this is the conversation we started at motion and one I wish we had more time to talk about, right? So this is my opportunity to talk about this too, is that I think we're programmed in a way to make stuff for other people who are going to hire us to make stuff. I would like for us to break that chain to say that as designers, we can make stuff for the end user and to figure out whatever version of that that makes sense to you. Okay. If risk and unpredictability and uncertainty is not your cup of tea. Totally fine. I'm not saying everybody needs to do this. I'm just saying for those that hear the calling and I think our audience, my general audience hears this calling and are rallying for more of it because it's like I track the people who are attracted to the things I say. So I'm just saying for the rest of the community, think about all these gifts and skills that you have instead of thinking about doing a spec piece to then be hired by Warner Brothers to do the main title for the next Marvel film, make something that entertains people, that educates people, that makes people feel happier or better about their lives. And then you create an audience, you build and and align people to what it is that you feel and believe. And that's a powerful thing, right? You can create your own TV series. You can create whatever it is you want to create and build your own audience because there's power in that. And then you become the advertiser. You become the agency. You become the network and the post-production company. That's what I'm saying, Ryan, that there's more for you at the table if you're willing to step into it. I don't look around like, well, this is the way everybody is. I want to be different. I want to be the unicorn. And there are plenty of examples out in the world of unicorns. I don't want to be a scumbag I'm not trying to be the scumbag of the motion design world right I'm just trying to be this alternative voice to agitate and disrupt and to get you guys to slap on that handbrake the emergency brake and stop and think and I hope that some part of this conversation was stimulating enough for you guys to start thinking about what it is that you always want to do okay Greg since you were here and we're having this conversation real time and you're representing the people is there anything that you would like me to talk about or challenge me on? And I would love to, to hear it from you.
1: Man, I wasn't prepared for that at all. Well, can we save that for next time?
0: I'm trying to put an end to this conversation sure. because people are so angry.
1: No, I, I, I think, you know, uh, known you for a long time and, uh, I, I try to just stop and, and listen and, and hear what you're saying. And, um, I think you're right in that maybe you speak at a frequency not everyone can hear, and not because it's good or bad or better or worse, it's just different. Yeah, and or maybe people can hear parts of it. So I, I think that's that's something really important to think about because um, crazy is not the right word, but I you can call you, me crazy. You have to be a little nuts to be. The entrepreneur that that you need to be to to succeed, all the all the other entrepreneurs like you that I know, a, a little bit, and I think it's um, a really valuable trait, but it's rare, and it operates at a certain frequency. So, I, I try to keep that in mind as I'm listening to everything Chris is saying. I'm like, okay, I can I can kind of see this from various angles, and that's that's my understanding of it. It's not really a question, but that's sort of my my takeaway from this. And as I process everything that that Chris just said to you
0: great I appreciate you saying that and and maybe we would all do a little bit better if we just kept a little open mind and was were able to process information that was contrary to our way of thinking. I like to think that I can do that and so I know that there are people out there that have in totally a 180 degrees uh, opinion from what I said I would love for you to make a video and share it with me I'd love to watch it I want to hear your point because I learn a lot when I have a dialogue with somebody who can, can articulate their thoughts and and form a rational debate around what it is we're talking about. It's very stimulating to me and my brain feels alive. Thanks for tuning in and listening to us and spending a part of your day with me. Really appreciate it. And I want to talk a little bit about how we're able to do this. So the future is made possible by some of our lovely sponsors and partners, one of which is Pond5.com. If you guys need to get some stock footage, After Effects presets, Pond5 is the place to go. And the future is also made possible by Matthew Cena, Greg Gunn, Scott Rotstein, Nicole Wasserman, and the entire blind staff, which I would not be able to do fun stuff like this and spend the day with you without their support because they run the business for me. The man behind the scene, the man with the plan, Aaron Zakelli. He's responsible for recording this, engineering it, doing the sound design, the editing. He pretty much makes this podcast possible. You can find him online as well. And of course, I have to thank Adam Sanborn, the person who composed and wrote the piece of music that you're listening to. You can find him at adamsanborn.com.